You go ahead and be seated, and then we're going to have a word of prayer. I think last week I kind of caught him like mid-transition coming off the stage praying, so I figured I'd give you guys a minute to grab a seat. All right. Well, welcome out this evening. So good to have you guys with us this evening, and uh, we're going to be jumping into Psalm chapter 1 in just a moment, and so, uh, but let's open in prayer before we get there. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace in our lives and uh, just an opportunity we have to gather to worship you, to be in your word and to just um, honestly, Lord, just celebrate all that you are, all that you uh, are for us, all that you are in your word and uh, just the difference that you make in our lives when we just surrender to you and look to you for all things, Lord. Father, I pray that you would just uh, open up our hearts and minds to your word, that we would have an understanding, that we would have a wisdom given to us by the work of the Spirit, to know your word more, to understand it, Lord, for application, and Lord, that we'd be able to live differently in this world. Father, again, we thank you for this opportunity, uh, the worship that we've been able to take part in. Uh, Lord, it is an amazing thought to realize that that we are yours and you are ours, and that forever that relationship will be held intact because not of us holding on to you, but you holding on to us. And so thank you for the relationship that we have in Christ. And I pray that we would enjoy that relationship, that we would get so much from that relationship, Lord, the, just the joy and the peace and the comfort that comes in knowing that you are with us closer than a brother. And Lord, we just praise you for all that you do and all that you are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we are in Psalm 1, and so if you were here last week, you already have a handout for that, um, because we uh, are going through it, finishing it up this week, Um, but if you were not here last week, and or um, maybe don't have your copy if you left it at home or whatever, I do have some more up here, so what we're doing is we're handing out an actual printed copy of Psalm 1, and then we've got some pens up here if you need one of those, and then what we're encouraging you to do is just take notes on the on the actual text. So you're going to kind of highlight some things, circle some things, note some things that jump out to you. We've been doing this now for a few weeks, uh, going through some other Psalms. And so uh, we are continuing that this evening. And so we're going to hand these out. And then uh, I know there's a couple here that weren't with us last week. And so give you guys just a few minutes to kind of go through there and note that paper up. Um, or if you were here last week and you have your handout, maybe you, there's some other notations that you want to make with that time. So we're going to take just a few minutes and do that. So just so I know either who needs one of Psalm 1, or if you were here last week and don't have yours, I can give you one as well. So, all right. Anyone else need one? All right. We do have pens. If someone needs a pen, we can make sure we get you one of those. Okay, there's one, two pens. I don't know. No one's going to say yes to that. (laughs) So... All right. So, and then also we do have clipboards. If you need something to write on, you can just come grab one of those. Uh, They're up front here. So uh, we'll give you just a few moments. So what we want you to do is um, go ahead and and just look at the text and begin to kind of make notations there. Um, So some things you might note, give you an example. If you've not been with us yet, we tried to kind of walk through this a few weeks ago. 
um, repeated phrases, uh, actions, things like that to take place. Um, phrases that maybe jump out to you. For an example, we talked about in verse two, uh, the law of the Lord. So we emphasize that. So that would be something you might want to circle or underline or kind of note that. Um, and so just take a few moments and then we'll have some music playing for just a few minutes and uh, allow yourself to kind of just really read the text and kind of just absorb it as the Lord gives you kind of an understanding of that.
right. Well, we will go ahead. I know some of you are still in thought, so finish that sentence or whatever you're noting there. And I encourage you, obviously, to come back to this text um, when you have time. Uh, but I do want to encourage you as well with this, that um, that was right about five minutes, maybe just a little bit lesser so than five minutes. And so um, just another little encouragement that every single day, uh, so many people say, I just don't have time. To, to study God's word. I don't have time to pray. Um, you guys just did something in five minutes that you can do any day of the week. You have five minutes. You have 10 minutes. You have 15 minutes. And so I encourage you, uh, make it a point at least every day, as much as you can. If it's not every day, at least more than just once a week. But try to set aside time to be in God's word and to pray. Um, and I know it's difficult to make that time sometimes, or it seems like it's difficult, but you can do it. Okay, if you, if you make the point of wanting to do it, you'll make time to do it. So, quick review. Uh, many of you guys probably noted a lot of different things, and so we're just going to kind of work through a little bit of a review for the first uh, three verses, which is all we got through last week. We did three verses, and so we'll kind of review those quickly, and then we'll do four through six, all right, and finish it up. Um, and then uh, next week, we'll have another psalm that we'll work through. Um, I don't know how long we're going to do the psalms and keep doing it this way, uh, just as long as the Lord leads, I guess, but um, hopefully you're getting a lot out of that, being able to just really get into the text and let the word of God speak. So Psalm 1, verse 1, and we read this together last week. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Uh, if you were with us last week, what, did we, what were some things that we highlighted about that verse, if you were with us last week? What were some things that we highlighted about verse 1? What were some things that we talked about from verse 1 last week? Yeah, the word blessed or blessed uh, is a form of happiness or joy that is not dependent upon circumstances, right? It goes deeper than that. We also connected that to the New Testament. What, what comes to our minds when we read the word blessed is the man who this... The kids have been doing this all summer, right? This is the Beatitudes. This is Matthew chapter 5. This is the idea of true happiness comes in this way. It's not circumstantial. And the Beatitudes are really an amazing opening to the Sermon on the Mount because he presents things that wouldn't normally seem like good things. Like, blessed are those who mourn. Well, mourning is not a good thing that usually brings us joy. But we understand that what he's saying is there's a deeper joy that comes in Christ. No matter our circumstances, we can have that happiness or that joy, right? What else did we note from verse 1 last week? I'm not sure who else was in here with us. You guys noticed the progression in verse 1? We talked about that last week. What's the progression of sin in verse 1? Those that weren't even here last week, if you just noted it this, this evening, what is the progression of sin in verse 1? What's that? You got a little louder, a little outside voice. It's okay. Not seeking the counsel of the ungodly, is that what you said? Okay. You, you're so, you're just like, I'm wrong. No, you were right. Okay. But what does that look like? What does it look like to, to live in the influence of the ungodly or to have the counsel of the ungodly be our influence? What was the progression, the steps that he talked about in Psalm 1-1? Yeah, 
right? Walking, standing, sitting. There's a progression there. I'm walking with somebody who's ungodly. I'm, I'm allowing them to be an influence in my life. That leads to me standing with them. Now I've stopped moving and I'm really taking in what they're giving me. And now I'm sitting with them. And to me, that picture is I'm now involved in whatever they were involved in. It started off as walking. I, you know, I'll never give in. I'll never go that route. But then all of a sudden that influence gets stronger because now a relationship is building. Now I stop and I start to consider what they're saying. Well, this makes sense. This sounds good. It sounds like it's reasonable. And now we sit down with them, meaning we start engaging in the actual act of sin. And so in the first verse, we found there was a progression of blessing and a progression of sinning. The progression of sinning is this idea of seeking the counsel of the ungodly to stand or to walk, stand, or sit with them. But the progression of blessing comes when we choose to not do those things, right? Hey, Greg, can you maybe turn me down just a little bit? I don't know if it sounds loud to you guys. It just seems loud to me. Um, and I hate hearing my voice. So that we, don't need, we don't need that happening this evening. So, um, But when there's a progression of sinning, we also see a progression of blessing. So to not walk, stand, or sit with the ungodly leads to blessing, deeper joy. Uh, we also talked about the phrase sinners there in verse 1. So if you didn't note it, or maybe you did, just go ahead and circle that. And you can jot down Genesis 13, 13, somewhere near there. So Genesis 13, 13, this word sinners is the same uh, word that's used in Genesis 13, 13. When referring to those in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, some suggest again that this means these sinners were hardened in their commitment to wicked behavior. So we could say, well, we're all sinners. But when the psalmist is saying this word sinner, he's not just talking about somebody who sins. There's a deeper commitment to this wickedness. There, there, there is a hardened kind of a, a rebellious, I want to sin as much as possible. And I've, I've had experiences where I've talked to people, and you probably have too, where people know they're in the wrong. They know they're doing wrong, and they just don't care. They just, they just want to live as wicked as possible because they think it's going to bring them joy or bring them happiness. Again, the actual inverse is true. The more we flee those influences, the greater joy, the greater peace, the greater happiness we will have. Uh, verse 2, we talked about quickly, uh, this is where our joy is found, where our joy is found. So we see there's a blessing that comes to the man that doesn't follow the ways of the ungodly. And there's a joy that is found in verse 2. Where does the, the blessed man find his delight or his joy, according to verse 2? In the law of the Lord, right? This specifically is referring to most likely the books of Moses, or the first five books of the Old Testament, but also in general is referring to all of God's word. So I, I posed this question last week, a way to gauge our spiritual maturity. Um, are we growing or are we regressing in the Lord? And if we're not growing, we are regressing. But if we're not growing in the Lord, or are we growing in the Lord, how do we gauge that? How do I gauge how I'm doing spiritually? Because so often, we'll look to very surface religious things. Will I go to church, or I do this religious thing? But is that really a good gauge of my spirituality? I love the psalmist giving us this little test here. When you read the word, does it bring you joy? Like, do you find delight and happiness in reading the word? Or is it a chore? Is it something you have to do? It's just a, a religious thing you have to do to make someone else happy or to check the religious box. And so for me, when I was studying through this, that jumped out to me as a good challenge point. Am I finding joy in my time in God's word? Is it actually a delight to me? Like, does it bring me joy like other things I enjoy doing bring me joy? Whether somebody's in the hunting or some other activity, whether they like sports or whatever they enjoy doing, that brings them joy. When you're in the word, 
does it bring you that kind of joy? Like, do you hunger for it? Do you long for the time that you can be back in the word and evidenced by the meditation we're doing on God's word? Because if I enjoy God's word to that degree, I'm going to think on God's word a lot. And the word meditate is used there. So he says in the verse, verse two, that we meditate day and night. Now, what does that mean to meditate day and night? What do you, what do you think he's talking about there? If you were with us last week or maybe you weren't, but what comes to your mind when you think about that? Meditate on the word of the Lord or the law of the Lord day and night. Sandra? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Constantly be aware of it. Okay. So this is where we have to pause and say, okay, is the psalmist being literal or figurative? Right? Because if it's a figure of speech or something like that, we need to understand we interpret that literally. Okay, so does he literally mean day and night, 24-7, the psalmist is wide awake, meditating on the word of the Lord? No, what's he saying? It's continually on my mind. We say it this way, when my mind can drift away from what I'm doing, it drifts to the word of the Lord. And why does my mind drift to the word? Because I find joy there. It delights me. I, I find pleasure in the word. Another way to understand this word, meditate, it actually means to mutter something under your breath. To mutter something under your breath. So basically, the psalmist is saying, I speak the word of the Lord to myself all the time. Which again, is a good challenge point. What do you say to yourself? Like, what kind of things are you saying to yourself? Are you saying things to yourself that are in the word of God? Or are you saying things to yourself that your flesh wants you to say? Are you saying things the world wants you to say to yourself? Either good or bad, Right? Pride, those things like that, where you're awesome, you're amazing. Well, yes, we are created in the image of God, and we are fearfully, wonderfully made, but we also have sin, and we need to acknowledge that. So, again, am I speaking the word to myself, or am I speaking something else to myself? And, again, another way we can look at this word meditate is the word study. To study. The New Testament says, study to show yourself approved unto God, to discern what is right and wrong. So we find our joy is found in the word. Now, verse 3, the result of obedience this blessing that we're talking about, the progression of blessing when we're not giving into ungodly counsel, when we are finding our delight in the law of the Lord, verse 3. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. Now, we talked about prosper. There are a lot of people who love that phrase. Like, I want to prosper. I want to be wealthy. I want to be successful. It's not talking about worldly success. It's talking about spiritual success. It means we're going to produce fruit. Okay? And so here the idea is that when we're obedient and we're finding our joy in the law, in the law of the Lord, in the word, we will be planted. We will have strong roots. We'll be firm. We're not going to be overtaken or pushed around by the world. And so now let's jump into verse 4. Verse 4. So verse 3, we found the result of obedience. Verse 4, we find the result of sin. So remember, it's one big picture, right? All of Psalm 1. There's two, so far, two pathways we could take. There's the one that's the, the blessed path, and there's one that's the ungodly path. And the blessed path is defined by a joy that comes from something not circumstantial, a joy in the Word of God, right? Obedience to the Word of God that gives us strong roots and produces fruit. But the ungodly in verse 4 are not so. Look at verse 4 with me. The ungodly are not so, but are like the, sh the chaff which the wind drives away. And so David hinges the psalm here 
So remember, we started with this idea of blessed is a man who does not do this. And then it's all about these righteous individuals, these blessed individuals. Verse 4, he hinges back to that ungodly counsel, those ungodly individuals, those sinners. He says here that they are not like the righteous. So instantly we have to go back and say, well, what are the righteous like and how are the ungodly not like them? Well, what's the example he uses here in verse 4? How are the righteous defined? Like a tree... Right? Planted by rivers of water. So all of our provision is there. We're strong. We're firm. We're producing fruit. How are the ungodly defined or described here in verse 4? Yeah, chaff. Not rooted, right? Just blown away with the wind. And again, think about that. One is rooted and secure. We look at the New Testament. Colossians, we're rooted and grounded in Christ, right? The ungodly are not so. There's nothing holding them. There's nothing secure for them. Think about our world today. Just think for a moment about our culture. People are looking for something to be rooted in, right? I mean, everything is fluid. Everything is in flux. Words are in in flux. Uh, Definitions are in flux. Nothing really has any solid, stable meaning. Everything is just how you feel in the moment. And one minute you feel this way, so that's how you are. One minute you feel this way, and that's how you are. And there's so much confusion, right? Everyone's so confused, and, and there's this chaos, and there's this uncertainty, And they're just being pushed around by the wind of the day. But the godly ones, the ones that trust in Christ, the ones that know God as their Lord and Savior, they are grounded in something that will never stop, something that will never cease. Again, these, you could say, ungodly or non-blessed individuals are not like the righteous who are firmly planted. The wicked are driven away by the wind. They're just blown around. So here David hinges to the ungodly. Now, verse 5, we're still dealing with the ungodly. So he's not left that topic as of yet. So again, we see a distinction here. So verse 5, Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of of the righteous. So there's two things here we have to understand. So we're still talking about the ungodly, and they're not going to do something. They're not going to stand in the judgment, and nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So you see a distinction, right? There's two groups now. Because they are wicked, they will not stand in the time of judgment. What comes to your mind when you think about that phrase? They will not stand in the time of judgment. If they're not standing in the time of judgment, what comes to your mind? What's the contrast of that? Or what's the opposite of standing in the time of judgment? Why why does he say it that way, I guess? What, What do you think? I like that. Kneeling and begging. Yeah. What are they begging for? Life. Forgiveness. Right? Because at the judgment, guess what they're instantly aware of? That we were ungodly. That we were sinners. That we were wrong. That there is a God and he is truth. Right? So they're not going to stand. They're going to fall on their face. I like what he said. They're begging for mercy. They're begging for forgiveness because now it's become clear to them what they thought was going to bring them joy, what they thought was going to bring them pleasure, has left them unable to stand. There's no foundation. Not only that, it says they will also not be with the congregation of the righteous. So that means now there's a distinction, right? There's those that will will be able to see and understand that this is God and this is truth and I was in the wrong. And then they're going to know they are righteous. Now, this is important for the whole book of Psalms because we're going to see this contrast all through the book, this back and forth between the righteous and the ungodly. 
As we studied a couple years ago, according to the word of God, how many human races are there? Among humanity, physically speaking, how many races are there? One, the human race, right? Now, there's different kinds, right? Beautiful different kinds of skin tones and all of that we've talked about. So humanly speaking, one human race. How many spiritual races are there? Two. Saved and unsaved. Godly and ungodly. Righteous and wicked. And at a point in future history, or in the future, as we've seen in history, God will establish a clear distinction between those two groups. And there will be the righteous and the ungodly. And there will be judgment upon both different forms of judgment. We in Christ, we will be judged, right? How are Christians judged? When we stand before God in judgment, what are we judged for? What are we judged about? What are we being judged for? Not sin. Right, our works, right? The things we did in Christ for him, okay? And what's going to be the outpouring of that? What's going to happen as a result of the things we did for Christ? What's God going to do to us in that moment of judgment? It's going to reward us, the Bible says, right? We believe crowns are going to be given. Now, we know, according to Revelation, what are, what are we most likely going to do with those crowns? Cast them back at his feet, because we realize we only did this because of you. We are not judged for our sin, because that's settled in Christ. That's done. We're not judged, are you a sinner or are you righteous? We are righteous in Christ apart from anything we do. But we are judged for the works we do for Christ. This is what Paul talks about. The wood, hay, and the stubble, the precious stones, everything going through a figurative fire, tried, and then the result will be, did it last? Well, if it was for Christ, it would last. The unrighteous, though, the wicked, are judged completely different. See, a wicked individual, a non-righteous, a non-blessed individual, they're going to stand before God in their own merit. They're going to stand in their own works. Because they've chosen to deny Christ and say, I'm good enough. So God says, okay, I'll allow you to stand there and be judged on your own merit. But we know what's going to happen. They're not really going to stand. They're going to fall on their face. They're going to beg for mercy because their works are not sufficient. Even their best works are as filthy rags, the Bible says. So again, when God judges the living and the dead, those outside of Christ will not stand. They will have no defense. They will be cast into hell. That's the word of God. However, the righteous in Christ, and you can jot this down, will be able to stand because we are covered by the blood of Christ. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. So you can jot that off to the side. The unrighteous, the ungodly will not stand in judgment, but the righteous will stand. Not in our works, but according to Romans 8.1, in the blood of Christ, the, the cross of Christ. In Romans 8.1, many of you have memorized it or know it. Right? For there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That condemnation is what awaits the ungodly. That's what awaits those who have refused to receive Christ. And they're going to receive that condemnation. Or as Romans 2 says, the wrath that has been stored up will be poured out on them. So again, a time of judgment is spoken of here. And there's two distinct outcomes. One will be separate from the other. The righteous from the unrighteous. Verse 6. Verse 6. Here we understand that the Lord knows. The Lord knows. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, does anything sound weird to you about that verse? The Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the what is it, ungodly shall perish. Does anything strike you as 
odd about that verse? Right. So why is that an issue for us as followers of Christ? Right. So we have to step back and go, okay, is this saying or suggesting then that God only knows the path of the righteous? Well, we go to other scriptures and we see, no, he knows the outcome of all peoples, all creation, right? So this is where we have to step back and let scripture interpret scripture. We don't go into one little verse and say, okay, because of this one verse, God only knows this. We have to let scripture speak to scripture and we understand what it's saying. And when Psalm, the psalmist is saying this, he's speaking specifically to the type of knowledge that God has for the righteous. Okay? So this is not knowing in the sense of I only know or have have an idea about this group and I don't know anything about the other group. It's saying I know all things, but I know in a certain kind of a way those that are righteous. The word carries the idea of intimate knowledge. Intimate knowledge. There's an intimate nature to this. Another way you could say this, and if you want to jot it there in the notes, knowledge here could also mean a loving concern. A loving concern. He knows all of it. He knows everything about everything. He's, he's all-knowing. But when he thinks about the righteous... And when he dwells in the thoughts of the righteous, he knows them intimately. There's a loving concern for them. However, the wicked, he still knows them, but there's not an intimate connection here. Now, this should draw to our mind the verse in the Gospels where Jesus said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he's going to say what? I never knew you. He knew of them. He knows them. He knows of who they are, all the hairs on their head and all their thoughts and so on and so forth. So what does he mean when he says, I never knew you? I didn't have that intimate relationship with you. I didn't know you like I know my sons and daughters in Christ. And that's what the psalmist is alluding to here. It's the type of knowledge that God has for those who are righteous. And we are only righteous in Christ. The wicked or the ungodly shall perish. This carries the idea of Ruin or destruction. So the word perish there, don't think like annihilation or just cease to exist. Think more about ruin or destruction. Like this was, there's something important or special about this creation, but it never really was able to meet up to what it was supposed to be. It was ruined. There was a destruction. So again, we think about this in connection to the New Testament. Those who are not followers of Christ are cast into hell. They perish. As a a precursor to the book of Psalms, we must note at times the psalmist will question why the wicked prosper in this world. You read Psalm after Psalm. Why are the wicked prospering? Why are the ungodly prospering? But the righteous suffer while the wicked seem to do better and better. We must draw our attention back to Psalm 1, remembering that this is the opening to the whole book. And realize that despite how it looks in this life, those that are righteous in God or for us saved in Christ will experience true joy. While those who are without Christ, the wicked, will experience ruin. Now this is not how we see it in our world today, is it? So many people will walk away from the church or walk away from supposed Christianity because they feel like they're missing out on something. There's something more that I could have in the world. But we see in the opening psalm two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked. We also see two outcomes. So quick review, what's the outcome of the blessed? What do we see as the outcome of the blessed or those who are 
walking with God or the righteous ones? What's their outcome? Go ahead, Evan, yeah. Go ahead, Evan, yeah. What's that? Joy, okay. What'd you say, Benny? Contentment, yeah. What's that joy, that joy that's deep-seated, right? It's like a tree planted by the waters. What's the outcome of the wicked? Destruction, ruin, perishing. See, they want to prosper, but their actual acts of what they're doing lead them to actual destruction, not prospering. And if we don't see that in our world today, man, we're not paying attention. In our world today, so many people are chasing contentment and joy, and they think a relationship will do it. They think money will do it. They think a career will do it. And they keep finding the same conclusion. It's just not good enough. It just doesn't match up with what I want. And so here we actually find out if you really want true happiness, it needs to be found in God and in him alone. Again, the wicked believe their plans will lead to joy and happiness. And unfortunately, the opposite is true. They will discover ruin and destruction. True happiness beyond circumstantial joy comes only from our sin being covered by the blood of Christ. We talked about that in Psalm uh, 32.1, that our sins is covered in the blood of Christ. Or covered, If our sins are covered, we have true joy. And so when we understand that, we are walking, standing, and sitting in his wise counsel. So the psalmist says, don't walk, stand, or sit in the counsel of the ungodly. But then he goes on to say where our counsel comes from. Our counsel comes from the word of the Lord. So when we're walking, standing, and sitting in God's word with God's people, there's going to be blessing. There's going to be encouragement. There's going to be joy, right? But when we're walking, sitting, and standing, or walking, standing, and sitting, rather, with the ungodly, we're going to find destruction and ruin. And again, I just see this all over our world today. Everywhere you look, there are people who are struggling to find joy and happiness and peace, and it's just not there. So I want to encourage you this evening. How, how have you seen God just really encourage you and strengthen you as you give yourself to his word, as you give yourself to godly counsel? When you maybe were tempted to give in to ungodly counsel, uh, maybe you're here and you've, you followed ungodly counsel at some point in your life. You listened to the world's ideas and you thought that was going to bring you joy and happiness. And you realized that maybe initially, yeah, it worked. Right? I mean, the reality of sin is the reason sin is tempting is because in the moment we commit that sin, for the first little while, it's really pleasurable. Because our flesh is being satisfied. But the problem is that as soon as that momentary pleasure ceases, which, by the way, it always will, you'll never, as a follower of Christ, give in to sin and remain joyful for a long period of time. There will be a short little burst of, okay, alleviation, right? My flesh is pleased. I finally gave in. And then instantly there's conviction, there's guilt, there's shame. And we think, and our flesh convinces us, and the enemy convinces us, right? The Satan, the devil, who is trying to deceive us, the world around us, they'll say things like, but if you just do this, then you'll have joy. So we actually ignore the word of God, listen to the voice of the world, and then we wonder while years go by, we're, we're just not happy. We're not joyful. Everyone looks at us like, man, you should be so happy. You got all this money. You got all this stuff. You got all this status, whatever. And we're just not. Because those things don't bring joy. Not the kind of joy in Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man. So if you want joy and happiness at a deeper level than anything you've ever experienced, it comes from trusting in Christ, not just for salvation, but every single day of our lives. And so 
I know we're going to end a little early. We'll open it up for prayer requests in just a moment. But I do want to open it up. Is there anything else from the psalm that as you were making notes and as you were making kind of observations, something that jumped out to you that maybe we didn't address or you would like to share just a little bit more on than what we got into? So anything else from Psalm 1 that, that made an impression on you or spoke to you in some way? One little side note, it's just kind of a, I found it more interesting. Um, the word congregation we see there used, right? So what comes to our mind when we think of congregation? Church, right? The body. And so when he talks about the congregation of the saints, so that group of the righteous, it's again this idea of the, the gathering, the body, the people that are involved. And I find that interesting because in Psalm 1, it's not about the temple, Right? It's not about the tabernacle. It's about the people. And this has always been the case. God has always been more invested and involved in the lives of the people than the building. The buildings have gotten the emphasis. Obviously, in the Old Testament, we know they went to the tabernacle. They went to the temple. But even then, it was still a relationship. It was still about a one-on-one -on -one relationship between God and the people. So just a little side note there as far as that goes. Uh, but if there's nothing else, we'll go ahead and if anyone has a prayer request, we'll open up with that. Does anyone have a prayer request or a praise they want to share this evening before we uh, dis dismiss a little early this evening? Prayer request or a praise? It's really good to see uh, Bob Raymond here this morning, so let's keep praying for him as he continues to recover from his surgery. Judy uh, Drago as well, she was here this morning. So pray for her for continued healing there. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, let's be praying for all of our local schools and teachers and staff across the board as far as different positions. Pray for them for a great year ahead. Wisdom and all of that, obviously. So pray for our schools, local schools, students and all of that. Word of Life stuff coming up. Obviously be praying for that as well. Anyone else? All right. Let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll let you guys spend some time in fellowship before we're dismissed. Father, we thank you, Lord, for, again, your word. Father, it's so amazing to me that right before us, we see the, the ideal way to understand how to live this life. That when we put ourselves first or we put... Uh, these ungodly influences, we allow them into our lives and then we try to pursue those things. We wonder why there's so many that battle with different issues of, uh, Lord, depression, uh, suicides, those kind of things, Lord, that we just see so rampant in our world today. And Lord, I'm not saying that as followers of Christ that we're not going to struggle or that we're not going to battle those kind of things, Lord, but I just... Lord, it always just is amazing to me that you tell us in your word that if we want to have true joy, true peace, true contentment, as we share tonight, it has to be found in you and in you alone. Not in a relationship, not in a position or a title or a degree or in our checkbook or what we drive. Not in how many likes we get on this or that post, Lord. And, and some of this stuff sounds so silly, but Lord, there's so many that are consumed by this stuff. They really think that the more 
of that they get, the happier they'll be. And Lord, yet time and time and time again, we are shown story after story of individuals that had all the worldly reasons to be happy. All the worldly success you could possibly imagine. And yet when you see their lives as time goes on, there's destruction. There's ruin. There's destroyed relationships. They might tell you, oh no, we're happy, we're fine. But Lord, in reality, the the true joy that we can have only comes from Christ. And Lord, we're not receiving Christ and getting saved so that we're happy. It's not a try this to make you, you happy kind of a thing. It's just saying as we repent of our sins and turn to you, joy is just a, a byproduct of that relationship. But Lord, I know that every single one of us in this room are confronted with ungodly counsel, worldly advice. And it's just a pressure we all feel at times in our lives and And Lord, from how we talk to somebody to how we interact with somebody to who we talk to, how we feel, how we think. Lord, for the young people in here today, Lord, those that are still living at home, Lord, how they interact with their parents. Lord, our culture today is full of just this disrespect for those that are older. There's mockery and names that are given to individuals that just happen to be from an older generation. and, And it's all just... Lord, just dishonoring them. And yet culturally, it's, it's the influence of the culture that leads us to want to do those things and say those things. But Lord, when we choose to have a joy for your word and a delight in your word and we meditate on it day and night, we're always trying to put it in the forefront of our minds, Lord. Our speech will be different. Our actions will be different. Our testimony will reflect you and not self. And Lord, we don't have to be convinced on how to live for you. Your spirit will just use the word that is in us as we continue to digest it. And it will use that to produce fruit in our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus in this coming week. That we would be aware of the influences that want to speak into our lives. That we would make a decision to reject those and to walk in the joy of the Lord as we give ourselves to your word. Father, thank you for the blessing that you give to us, that we can find joy and contentment and peace in you. Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit that gives us a peace that is not as the world gives. And so, Father, again, go with us now. Help us to enjoy the relationship, to enjoy your word as we spend time in it, and conform us to the image of Christ, that you would be glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.